Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sidish, an IFT podcast that mixes up perspectives from multiple disciplines related to the science of food and provides some tips on developing your career in a rapidly changing professional ecosystem. I'm your host, Matt Teagarden, and today we asked Ingredion employees to think about the question, can we future-proof the food ecosystem? Their answer? You'll have a stronger shot if you're thinking about accessibility. You may be wondering why that seemed to be the word centering the upcoming conversation, but at Ingredion, the connection makes sense, and they hope you'll believe it too. Skeptical? Stay tuned to deepen your understanding. Joining us for today's discussion, we have three Ingredion employees here with us, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves. Hi, my name is Emma Tops. I go by she, her pronouns, and I'm a senior food technologist. Hey everyone, I'm Kurt Callahan. I use he, him pronouns. I'm Global Strategic Director for the Sugar Reduction Platform. And my name is Erica Jenkins. I use the she, her pronouns. I am the Senior Specialist supporting our DEI initiatives. Excellent. Well, thank you, all three of you, for being here with me today. And I want to take us a step back to sort of the first question that we asked uh, before we arrived even at accessibility and, and maybe walk us through uh, how we're linking basically sustainability of the food ecosystem and accessibility. So Kurt, I'm going to throw this to you. Can we future-proof the food ecosystem and why does accessibility come top of mind? Ooh, uh, that's a big one. Uh, I hope we can. I hope we can future-proof it. <laughs> Me too. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's, we view accessibility as kind of an undercurrent uh, in sustainability overall. And sustainability is a very broad word that can mean a lot of different things. The way we try to think about it is in three buckets. So first, planet, second, people, and third, community. And so planet, you know, this is really environmental impacts and, you know, keeping a, a biodiverse um, uh, farming system. For people, this is about uh, obviously just safety in general, right? Food safety, safety along uh, the food supply chain, human rights, and this is also where we would say DE&I comes in to play in a big way. And finally, community, this is really about food security and how both the food that a community eats and the jobs that it creates in any given community impact impact the world. And really accessibility plays a key role in all, in all of these, right? Within Planet, it's about con continuous accessibility. We need to keep the environment healthy so that we can continue to have access to all that it gives us. In terms of people, this is about you know, DEI and access to multiple perspectives um, to, to bring to, to the equation. And when it, when it comes to community, you know, this is for our industry, this is about access to food, uh, to the community, and we, and we can help support that. So big question, uh, <laughs> trying to break it down, but that's how we kind of think about how sustainability and accessibility connect to future-proofing the food ecosystem. Well, that's a, I mean, you're kind of breaking down 
a couple really big terms, right? So sustainability is is a big term and there's so many different angles you can apply to it. And the same goes for accessibility. Thinking about accessibility and and again, it's a big term, but how do we use that to lead to innovation and, and ensuring access to the technological advancements that support growth um, of the food ecosystem? Emma, I'm going to throw this one to you. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways we're able to do that is um, by making our ingredients more accessible through scale and cost. So we're usually going to be looking for innovative technology to be able to deliver new ingredients um, at a lower price point that can be used, you know, in a customer's end product that is either healthier or um, at a more affordable price. So when we think about optimizing our technology or our processes, um, that's really going to drive affordability and accessibility to healthier products, which, like Kurt had mentioned, that's going to be able to hit both community and people. And we've got a really good example of that on the sugar reduction side at Ingredion um, through precision fermentation. So newer technology where we're bringing, you know, a very affordable and great tasting stevia to the marketplace. So not only are we driving sugar reduction, so making healthier diets and healthier people ultimately, but we're doing this with a significantly less impact on the environment and it's helping us deliver these food and beverage products to consumers at a much more affordable price point so you know the i think the the term accessibility there really that's a great example of sort of the affordability angle of it making sure that people can afford it in terms of you know the global nature of ingredients business is there also a, an angle to this that's you're, you're able to approach people um, in ways that are relevant to uh, where they live and their local culture and customs and tastes and things like that? So I think one way we're able to do that is our broad portfolio. So being able to include ingredients that come from all over the world. You know, we have rice and tapioca that comes from Asia some of our pulses come from the North American business. From our hydrocolloid side, you know, we have some things that are coming from all around the world, specifically like gum acacia comes from South Africa. So being able to incorporate a lot of that into our portfolio and then bring that to the end consumer. That's great. And that's, that's where like people and community come in in a big way, right? Like those products they're not possible for us to bring to consumers unless we're really taking care of those communities and the farmers that are bringing those to life. And, and so that's where we spend a lot of our time uh, in our supply chain, going all the way back to the farm and making sure that, you know, at the farm level, the, the human being actually working the farm has a great quality of life uh, is being fairly treated and very compensated for what they're doing and, and gets to share in the benefits, uh, you know, of us bringing these products to consumers around the world. I love that. I think that's a great message and, and can show like, again, the, that those multiple angles of accessibility that, that travel along the whole food value chain throughout the whole food ecosystem. 
Um, and I think having uh, a large business like Ingredion that that operates at such a large scale to to emulate that is 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 awesome. So thinking maybe maybe turning this a little bit on its head. So we we talked about how accessibility leads to innovation. Well, let's dive a little bit deeper into how innovation might lead to a more accessible food system. So just kind of circling back to people. So when when I think about accessibility and the connection to people, we've started talking about ensuring that we have the the appropriate people, the right people to to advance our, you know, initiatives. And so thinking about this, I I think about, you know, culture fit versus culture ad from an HR perspective on how we are evaluating prospective talent. And I think oftentimes a lot of individuals think about, you know, people being similar to them, right? A lot of people like to think about themselves and how great they are at their job and the things that they are able to do and perform to push things forward. And so it makes sense that they're looking for someone that is similar to them, um, because that means that if they're similar to them, they probably have similar capabilities to be successful, right? So I think we have to be aware of our bias as it relates to kind of similarity bias, because that can kind of halt innovation. Um, If we're all coming from solving a problem from the same perspective, because we're similar, right? We're probably thinking about things similarly. We've had similar experiences that are kind of cultivating the responses that we're having. So we're going to find a similar solution. Um, And that does kind of, again, stop or slow down at least innovation. And so it's important, again, to ensure that we are hiring for culture, like ad, right? What is the team missing? Where are their gaps in order to be able to fill those with those individuals, right? So thinking about the missing perspective on the team, the missing skill set on the team, right? What are we adding? What are we able to add to the team to help us continue to grow, right? If we have 10 people on the team and all 10 people are the same, again, we're going to get the same solution. So the more that we can diversify who's a part of the decision making will lead us to being able to have new solutions, new ideas, new voices really being heard. Yeah, well said, Erica. And I I think just to build on to that, like, we really view DEI as foundational for innovation. Right. To Erica's point, we need diverse perspectives in the room to get to the best innovation. We need people with different experiences, different backgrounds, different educations, different, um, you know, nationalities. More different is better uh, when it comes to innovation. And then to add to that, though, it doesn't stop when just getting the right people on your team. You got to. You have to continue that in the ways that you work every day, right? It's not just about getting people at the table or in the room. It's about making sure they have a voice while they're at the table or in the room. So we have to continue that after we get the right people. We have to continue that by encouraging uh, an environment where everyone can speak up, where they feel safe to speak up and, and to to challenge each other in a, in a healthy and respectful manner. Um, 
and without that part of it, you know, we're only going halfway there. So it's a continuous process that, you know, we're, we're trying to create that type of culture every day. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Kurt. I think there's no point in having people who have diverse experience in the room if we're not tapping into them, right? And I know that we're doing a lot of work to really help ensure that we are providing access to the industry, right? There's people who don't even know that there's a career in the food industry, right? Like, if you're not familiar with this space, you don't know that it exists and that you can get into it. And so we are, you know, we have projects that are in place, and I'd love Emma to talk through some of those about how we're ensuring that there's accessibility in, in the people that we are uh, trying to partner with and the organizations that we're trying to partner with. Yeah, let's hear it, Emma. Yeah. So like <laughs> Kurt mentioned, DEI is foundational to our company, our, our values. So we put a, a really strong emphasis on being able to um, not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. So we have several different initiatives, but the one that I'll probably highlight is um, a specific initiative uh, where we, it's called um, Advancing Black Leaders. So it's a, it's a work stream that takes a consistent and conscious effort to pair with some of the predominantly Black institutions in the Chicago area, specifically Chicago State University, to be able to expose their STEM students, so STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math students, to the food industry. Uh, we're, we all are familiar how Chicago is one of those meccas for the food industry. We have so many manufacturing and so many um, like large uh, CPGs that operate out here. So it's almost hard to believe that you'll, you'll meet somebody that doesn't even know that food science is a, a possible career path. So, you know, we're, we're making that comfort, conscious effort to be able to pair with Chicago State University to expose those kids, those college students, I should say, to the food industry. And, you know, we want to tap into those people that are right in our backyard in Chicago. You know, if Chicago's the food mecca, why not kind of hire and build a pipeline of talent right in our own backyard where we don't have to source from other parts of the country unless people obviously want to come to Chicago. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're building that relationship, providing that exposure, and we've had several awesome opportunities with them. And, um, you know, looking into the, the longer term future, hoping to be able to build a, a food science curriculum for this institution so that they're able to build a, a pipeline, not only for ingredient, but just for Chicago's uh, food industry as a whole. Right. And I think that that really is a great illustration of something um that was said earlier about, you know, supporting the communities in which Ingredient exists, whether it's, you know, a farm in South Africa or a university in Chicago and, and making sure that you're cultivating the next generation of scientists, the best products around the world. And what I really like about this conversation is that we're seeing that, you know, if you can create these careers that are accessible, it leads to innovation that at the scale at which ingredient works becomes accessible innovation, which leads to a more accessible and sustainable food supply in the end. I, I think that's simplifying it at a very high level, but you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's circular and it, it, it all feeds into itself. So I think it's, it's a great illustration of just how accessibility within the food industry can work and be a super positive uh, catalyst for uh, productive change. No, you nailed it, Matt. And you beat me, you beat me to the punch. It's like, 
they all feed each other, right? It is circular. Uh, and once you get that circle flowing, that's when you know that it's actually sustainable and accessibility is the only way to make that, that circular economy work. So, yeah. right. I got so excited. I spilled all the water on my desk. So, <laughs> <laughs> So I want to talk a little bit more and and this gets more into the sort of like the, the further side of that continuum that, that we were just talking about in terms of having accessible food, right? So, you know, everyone, we're still talking about supply chain. It's still, still a topic of discussion. Are, Are we seeing innovation out of some of these supply chain challenges from the past few years that have actually worked to increase the accessibility or sustainability of the food system? Kurt, I might throw it to you first, and then we'll see if anyone else wants to add in. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the last couple of years, the challenges in the global supply chains have, have really given everybody in the industry a little reason to pause, right, and rethink how the flow of materials works and can we be, you know, more locally sourced, more more vertically integrated in, in a single country. So I think there's definitely a shift in that direction. I mean, we had several decades working in the other direction and it's everybody's like, ah, maybe we, maybe we went a little too far and everybody's trying to rethink, but this is something that doesn't change overnight, right? It's going to take a decade or so to really significantly move back to being more local supply chains. And it's it's kind of, it's going to kind of be case by case, right? Depends on the ingredient, depends on the raw material. We still have we still live in a very globalized world. That is not going to change. Uh, so I think there's a lot of momentum to kind of swing back to more local where possible how far it actually goes, kind of TBD. We'll see how it shakes out. I would just highlight the whole synthetic biology space, right? Precision fermentation. I mentioned one of our Stevia products earlier. I do think we're going to see more and more of this. And basically you can start with any carbohydrate. So you can start with a starch. You can start with sugar from any raw material source. And we can turn that into the mo- a molecule of choice. That's incredibly powerful. It's really early in the development of these technologies, but I do think that, and, and, and you know, depending on the pace that those technologies can be developed and scale up, I think that has the potential to be pretty disruptive and really dramatically change how supply chains work across the globe. Yeah, you can just ferment whatever you need, you know. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I mean, if the econ- if the economics work, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other things that we're really putting an emphasis on is really encouraging our leaders to think about solving challenges, any of the challenges that we're facing in the business through an inclusive lens. And so, you know, as we're talking about supply chain, I I obviously can't help but talk about supplier diversity and our supply chain function, really thinking about how can we ensure that we do have like more trucks on the road or, you know, where are we sourcing corn from? Like they're thinking about the current challenges that we face through that inclusive lens, right? So when I think of supplier diversity, first, maybe I should 
define that for our audience. So thinking about supplier diversity, it's really about inclusion um, that helps businesses you know, connect with minority-owned suppliers of various goods and services. And it's really important because it, again, solves business challenges while also supporting the communities in which we operate. And so thinking about, you know, again, how can we get additional trucks on the road? Is there a women-owned trucking company that we can contract with, right? So not only will that add potentially the trucks on the road, but that will employ, you know, women um, and and help the communities, right? Women having employment and things like that. So that's potentially a solution for us in regards to the supply chain challenges. Are we using, you know, Black-owned farmers or LGBT-owned farmers to, to source our raw ingredients through? Um, and I think when we're thinking about our solutions that way, it can really help solve, um, you know, the problems that we're facing. I, I really value that. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, by us doing it as Ingredion, that other individuals, other businesses will see the, the positive impact that it's having um, and, and adopt that as a potential solution. And I think you're kind of touching on what, what I have for my last question in that it's, it's so obvious that innovation can come in times of, of great challenge, right? These challenges give rise to a lot of innovation. And how can DEI be used as a tool to help solve these challenges? So I think you're, you're kind of talking through a lot of what an answer to that could be, right? It's, it's, it, and it goes back to what we talked about before is that if you kind of bring DEI into your business and actually fully model it and implement it, it can lead to some innovative solutions. But I'm curious if, if you have more to say around, you know, how DEI can be an actual tool to solve some of these grand challenge challenges um, in an innovative way. Yeah, I really think that it's about, again, just challenging the status quo. I think that as we are presented with an issue, again, tapping into diverse voices to help solve a problem. I think oftentimes, even from like an early talent perspective, right? Oftentimes they're seen as, oh, well, you need to, you know, have more experience before you can contribute to this conversation, right? Or we won't ask them um, their their thoughts because, you know, perhaps we think that we have more experience and therefore automatically know, you know, what the best solution is. But it's really important to have someone look at a problem that maybe they've never asked themselves, right, to get that fresh perspective, to get that new solution, right? So I think um, it's important to almost bring as, not as many people, but as many different people to the table to really have a productive brainstorming session um, in order to help support how we are trying to identify different solutions. Again, we have values here at Ingredion um, that, that that support that, right? So everyone belongs, the innovate boldly. I think when we think about those two things together, um, it really works closely. It's very connected to you know our DEI initiatives and the things that we're doing in this space um, to help our leaders feel equipped to look at their roles through that, that incl- inclusive lens that we've been talking about. Yeah, and I, I just want to add to that, like the, you know, 
the supplier diversity program that Ingridian and others have, it's incredibly powerful because going back to the global supply chain and the disruptions we've seen, having a supplier diversity program helps keep your supply chain more local inherently, which thus makes it more resilient. Right, so circling it all the way back to sustainability, by having a supplier diversity program, you're creating and encouraging accessibility, thus making your supply chain more local, more resilient, and more sustainable. So I think the really important programs that big companies in our industry take on, um, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it does make our industry, what did we say? more future-proof, more sustainable for the long haul. Yeah, and just just to build on what Kurt said, and, and Erica had been talking about this earlier, not only having just a diversity in suppliers, but also strengthening our relationships with our current ones. So, you know, that really helps to make our supply chain more resilient, especially when we have to go to specific regions. So like I mentioned earlier that we have a really great relationship with our raw gum acacia suppliers in South Africa. And it's not just, um, it's not a transactional relationship. We, you know, they provide us with the raw materials, but we also provide them with things like uh, clean, running raw, clean running water for their communities. And we go out there and we engage with the community and try and understand what their challenges are. Cause you know, we value the service and the product that they supply to us that, you know, then goes to the end customers where we're able to process it, provide it. And again, you know, making things more accessible, more affordable, that wouldn't be possible or, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as valuable if we weren't deeply connected with our suppliers. So it starts from that supplier relationship and it does trickle down to the end consumer and the end product. I love that. And I think that that's, a great way for us to sort of leave our conversation today. I think we're, we've highlighted really the importance of accessibility at all levels and how that can fuel innovation and strengthen your efforts in innovation. These, these programs that we've talked about in terms of whether they're employee programs for, uh, that are aimed at DEI or even the, the supplier diversity type programs, they, they might be a lot of work to start up but they're so important for the sustainability of your business and the whole food system. And so it really pays back in droves if you put that effort in. And I think you you all provided some wonderful examples to highlight exactly how important those are. So thank you so much, every, uh, all of you, for your perspective and your commitment to, to accessibility and DEI within the food industry as well. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thank you to our listeners. If you're enjoying Sidish, please let us know by leaving a review wherever you source your podcasts or by connecting with IFT. You can find us on Twitter at IFT and by searching the Institute of Food Technologists on Facebook and LinkedIn. For more on this topic, be sure to visit our website at ift.org and type the subject of this episode into the search box to gain access to a ton of resources. Thanks for listening to Side Dish. I'm your host, Matt Teagarden. Have a delicious day. Mm-hmm.